Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Tony D'Alberto is the 2022 TCR Australia Champion. He wrapped up the title in a nail-biting finale on Sunday afternoon at the Bathurst International. The Bathurst TCR race wins, meanwhile, went to Bailey Sweeney and Will Brown, who almost nabbed the title, while race two was rained out. In other Bathurst International news, AAA drivers Brock Feeney and Prince Jeffrey Ibrahim won the three-hour GT World Challenge Australia race. Nathan Hearn was unstoppable in the Trans Am 100. Ryan Wood took two Porsche Sprint Challenge race wins to Thomas Sargent's one. And Stephen Johnson clean-swept the Touring Car Masters races. It was also announced over the weekend that the Bathurst International will be part of the TCR World Tour in 2023. There will be two Aussie rounds on the nine-event tour. The other is yet to be confirmed. Blanchard Racing Team has locked in its Super 2 driver for the 2023 season. Carrera Cup ace Aaron Love will make the move to supercars with the first campaign in the second tier. More on that later in the pod. Scott McLaughlin has been named as the Fambassador of the Adelaide 500. As well as his TV commitments, he'll be offering insight to the events, social media channels and appearing at signing sessions across the weekend. As part of the announcement, he also revealed that he was offered a test of a Gen 3 supercar while in Australia, but declined. In other Scott McLaughlin news, he is now the part owner of a sprint car team. Scotty has teamed up with footy player Jack Revolt and footy media guys Tim Hodges and Jared Waitley to field a car for James McFadden in the Grand Annual Sprint Car Classic in Warrnambool early next year. That will be one of two Napa Auto Parts back cars in the Classic field, the other to be run under the Landrigan Motorsport banner and driven by American Brad Sweet, who has been in dominant form in World of Outlaws the past few seasons. Daniel Ricciardo has left the door slightly ajar for a Supercars cameo next season. He wouldn't rule it out when asked by media about it in Brazil late last week. And Motorsport Australia will change its provisional license rules as of 2023 with a 3.5 kilogram per kilowatt limit. That means P-platers won't be able to drive high-powered cars such as Supercars, Trans Ams, GT3 cars, Cup cars, and S5000s. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that is still fuming that he was overlooked for the Adelaide 500 fan ambassador role, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, have you penned an angry letter to the SA Motorsport Board about this? Hello, Andrew. Some of your best intro work there. Well done. It does feel like the only <laughs> thing uh, Scotty McLaughlin can't do at the moment is drive a Ford, which is a bit unfortunate. Yes, it would have been interesting to see him in a uh, Gen 3 car. What did you make of the whole fan ambassador thing, sort of having Scotty back in such a visible, I mean, he's going to have merchandise at the event and all, like such a visible way to bring him back to the paddock. What do you make of it all? Yeah, well, the term fan ambassador to me makes it sound like he's going to have to wear really big shoes and a wig or mm. something, something ridiculous. Yep. But um, yeah, I mean- He did wear a Pikachu costume on the Gold Coast, <laughs> yeah, remember? True. So like it's not completely unprecedented. It's- uh... 
Yeah, it's, it's one of those things like he's doing all this and also doing the TV stuff, which will be interesting in terms of that dynamic with the other drivers when he's interviewing people. And, you know, his theory was that it was all sort of competitive tension um, back in uh, 2019, 2020, and uh, it'll all be fine now. But um, we'll see on that front. And then, yeah, I guess in terms of like he's doing those autograph sessions and things like that, it'll be uh, – interesting his his lines might be bigger than uh, any other team which will be uh, probably not the best for supercars in some ways yeah it's definitely it's an interesting look to have someone who's not in the championship come back and play such a visible role particularly given you know the term fanbassador and it was only earlier this year i think before the indy 500 when the, those quotes came out about uh, that weren't didn't cast the greatest light back on his time in supercars and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, whatever. Let's uh, let's crack on with some news, Stefan. And as I just mentioned, uh, we can reveal today that Blanchard Racing Team has signed Aaron Love for the 2023 Super Two season. Now I reckon this is a brilliant move from Timmy and the crew at BRT. Um, Aaron has been in since has been sensational in Porsches this year, both home and abroad. He almost won the Aussie Career Cup title despite missing two rounds. His drive from 15th on the grid to 4th in the first race on the Gold Coast was just remarkable, given it's hard to pass in cup cars at the very best of times and a lot harder on a street circuit and even harder again on the Gold Coast street circuit. So that really was um, something that uh, raised some eyebrows. Um, He heads to BRT, very highly rated by Sonic Motor Racing Services boss Mick Ritter, who's been running him in Carrera Cup. Uh, Mick and Tim Blanchard are very close family friends um, and have won some titles together in Formula Ford. So, uh, yeah, that that kind of speaks volumes, I think. And, you know, at the end of the day, if things play out as we expect and there are two main game BRT cars in 2024, Aaron's kind of put himself in the position where he has the opportunity to prove that that he should be in one of them. Stefan, do you agree that this is an exciting signing for BRT? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great story for all involved and, yeah, it looks like a big opportunity in front of him with that potential for BRT to uh, run two main game cars in 2024. I mean, we've seen Aaron and his brother Jordan come up through the Porsche ranks and they're both pretty highly rated, so it sort of felt like a matter of time before one of them got into a V8. Their, uh, their father, Ian, raced a bit too, including a couple of ATCC appearances at Wanneroo in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. So they're a, uh, a good racing family from over your way. And I'm sure that Aaron will be pretty eager to actually uh, get behind the wheel of uh, the Gen 2 Mustang and just get into it. Which uh, which should be happening this week, whether depending um, at a, or tomorrow, I believe, at, at an evaluation day. But um, just to sort of put you on the spot here with one more question about this, Stefan, it's kind of, I don't know, it, it, it feels like this really legitimises Tim's push to to expand the team at the main game level, and that's not to guarantee that Aaron will be in one of those cars, but to set up a Super 2 program then actually go after some proper racing talent to drive the car. I don't know. To me, it just feels like there is actually a small pathway being formed here. Yeah, they've certainly gone about their uh, plans to expand in the main game a little uh, more quietly than uh, perhaps Peter Adderton's been campaigning for that TRC. But, um, yeah, this looks like a, a great plan, but it's it's also early days. Like, he's not even driven yeah. a supercar yet, so they'll probably Correct. want to keep a little bit of the pressure off him, I'd imagine. Well, I grabbed both Tim and Aaron on the phone yesterday to chat about the deal, and here's what they had to say. Um, yeah, big news for for Blanchard Racing Team. You know, the expansion is on for next year with the Super 2 car and um, and Aaron's a pretty exciting talent to have lined up to drive that car, Tim. Uh, yeah, I think uh, 
we looked at moving into the Super 2 for the next year and part of that move is we wanted someone that's going to put the car at the front and uh, yeah, we're pretty excited to have Aaron join the team and be part of that. Have you been fairly impressed by what he's done in the in the Cup car this year? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, obviously we've got a long association with Michael Ritter and, and Sonic and Mick said to, said to me a couple of months ago, you need need to watch Aaron, he's uh, pretty quick and uh, I think he's the good. So we kind of kept a close eye on him over the last well, second half of this year and been really impressed by his results in the Porsche, especially, you know, the Gold Coast, uh, that first race in um, in Gold Coast was very impressive to watch. So, yeah, we're, the whole team's really excited to have him join us. Um, yeah, Mick doesn't dish out praise super easy, so that definitely uh, speaks volumes there. Um, you know, there's no secret that you would like to expand the main game presence of your team as well in the future. Um, could this be seen as maybe, you know, planting the seeds of driver development for possible expansion at the top of the supercars tree in the future? Yeah, well, that's, that's obviously the intention. So, you know, I guess it hasn't been any secret that we want to expand the team and move to two cars as soon as possible um, and yeah we want to make sure we've got some quality drivers to, to drive them as well so um, yeah we've got to get through one year at a time but yeah we'd very much like Aaron to be part of that and part of our, our long term future uh, Aaron that's all pretty exciting stuff are you excited to get into a supercar for the first time and see what all the fuss is about? Yeah definitely it's going to be a whole different ball game we've got a couple of sticks in the middle of the car that I'm going to work out how to use so um, yeah <laughs> Yeah, looking forward to it. So, um, yeah, I get my first drive this Wednesday, so no, I couldn't be, couldn't be any more excited. And this obviously signals your intention to head down the supercars path instead of trying to pursue the sports car thing overseas or something like that? Yeah, it's um, something that I sort of spent a bit of time thinking about in the first sort of quarter of the year once I got over there and had a good look around and had a few guys around me which I could sort of get first-hand eyesight and get a grasp on what they're going through at the moment sort of had a hard think about where I want to end up racing wise and what I'm going to enjoy the most and ended up coming to the conclusion that I want to race in Australia and really the only pathway in Australia is supercars so sort of came back here halfway through the year and talked to a few guys that uh, help advise me and carry me along so got speaking to them and then just started getting the ball rolling. What sort of pressure do you put on yourself for next season? Are you happy to see it as a learning season as you get used to what is a very different car to, you know, to a, to a cup car? Or are you going out there next year to try and win a title and challenge for race wins and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, there's there's no doubt it's going to be tough, obviously, with it being a completely different car to what I've ever driven before. So definitely going to focus on learning how to control the car and do it properly in the right ways and not rush certain things. So Obviously, our intentions are to settle in and do it all properly and learn the car, you know, along the right along the right lines. So, doing that, but also, you know, you can't really be a proper motorsport team and drive if you're not wanting to be competitive. So, our intentions are always going to be in putting our best foot forward and trying to get good results from the very start. So, we'll just have to play as it comes and put our, you know, best foot forward into preparing for the season and see what happens. Okay, let's move on to a bit of a Bathurst International debrief, Stefan. There was plenty going on 
across the weekend at Mount Panorama. One thing that really caught my eye was Nathan Hearn's performance uh, in Trans Am. I mean, that guy is just in some form at the moment. Dominant in S5000 on the Gold Coast a couple of weeks ago. Incredible uh, performance at the circuit of the Americas in his US Trans Am debut last week and then back to really prove that he is a cut above the local Trans Am field at the moment at Bathurst over the weekend. Uh, what did you make of that? Yeah, a cut above is the right term. I mean, I think he had eight tenths on the field in qualifying and he never looked like being beaten in any of those races at Bathurst. I mean, he spoke on the pod a couple of months back about returning to Trans Am for 2023 as well as doing some S5000. But I really hope there are some other opportunities for him because it kind of feels like he's proven all there is to prove in Trans Am, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think there's still... I think there's still a few hurt feelings over, you know, what happened at 2020 with the Bathurst wildcard and whether he can actually fit into the supercar system. And as we've been critical of the super license system before, well, I certainly have, you know, he, he still needs to actually go through Super 2 before he could have a, a crack at, at at supercars, which seems like a shame, particularly as we go to Gen 3 where those cars should be kind of reasonably similar to a Trans Am car. You just think it would be very interesting to see this guy have a proper crack at it. I know you love your Trans Am, Stefan, and I have to say that I'm right there with you these days. I I, I just, I kind of just, even though the, the actual winner was fairly predictable, I just, they were must-watch races over the weekend. And I kept sort of watching them around that circuit and thinking, imagine a full field of supercars drivers in these things. Like It's such a good formula. It's almost just about the formula that we need. I'm sure the fact you were even daydreaming about having supercars drivers in Trans Am cars would have set off some sort of alarm at supercars <laughs> headquarters after what we saw My earlier in the is year. My be revoked. Yeah. But like on the flip side, it would be interesting to see what a supercar would be like on that cross-ply Hoosier tyre that the Trans Ams run. Like those, yeah. The cars are so spectacular because they move around so much. And yeah. I'm sure there's a few factors in that, including the lack of aero. But, uh, yeah, I reckon those tyres are playing a bit, pretty big role in how entertaining those cars are to watch. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, well, the TCR title fight turned into a real nail-biter. Uh, but between success ballast and the fact that the Honda doesn't really suit the Bathurst circuit, points leader Tony D'Alberto was really up against it. Over the whole weekend, he got a bit lucky with race two being washed out because it was one less opportunity to sort of bleed points. Um, then in the finale, he had to sort of sit there and watch Will Brown storm to the front, which was pretty spectacular, while Tony did his best to try and hold on to that critical uh, 12th place. There were times when Brown was actually ahead on points and was going to win the championship, but in the end, TD got home 11th to just hang on to the title. Uh, Stefan, did you enjoy I was on the edge of my seat. Did you enjoy that one? Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a thriller in true TCR style in the fact that there was some hectic and exciting racing, but also that sort of absurdity of having the champion completely uncompetitive. Like, yeah. I don't know whether it was purely BIP or just the Honda not being suited to Bathurst, but I really felt sorry for TD because he looked helpless all weekend running around in that car. And it kind of, it, it did give me some flashbacks to when, remember when he hung on for that, uh, development series title back in 2007 that was a nail biter as well but uh, yeah thoroughly deserved this TCR title he's put so much work into that program and uh, it was good to see him uh, come away with it in the end well helpless that's a term that I believe he used as well I did grab uh, I did grab TD for a chat about becoming TCR Australia champion and what it was like as the sitting duck across the Bathurst weekend here's what he had to say Tony D'Alberto TCR Australia champion how does that sound mate 
it has a nice ring to it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, uh, it's been a long year and we've been leading the championship all year. And uh, there's been so many times when I felt like tantalizingly close, but, you know, the job wasn't quite done. And I felt that all the way up until the last lap of the, <laughs> the last race. Um, so, yeah, it feels nice to – I'm very relieved to have it all done and uh, to have that um, – title i suppose uh my name on that title you i mean yeah you didn't even seem to know whether you'd done enough at the end of the race there the team didn't seem 100 percent confident when you asked over the radio i mean yeah. that was a, that, that that last race was proper edge of your seat stuff how updated were right. you being kept on where things are at i mean there was did you know that for a while there will was actually ahead of you on points well the guys didn't actually say that but i could tell in their voice um uh, that we we're we we're in trouble and uh, my engineer, Fife, he's, he said at the safety car, he said, mate, I know you're doing the best you can, but I need you to get past the guys in front. And, um, yeah, at that point there, I thought, oh, shit, we're in trouble. Um, I, I knew if I finished 11th, though, uh, and Will won, um, we're okay. Yeah. And I think even if I finished 12th, I, I, think it count was 12th. Back, I still still won as well. Yeah. So um, the big, biggest surprise for me, to be honest, was that Will managed to get to the lead. I, I yeah. just – I didn't see that coming at all. Um, he didn't have a huge amount of pace all weekend. And, you know, Bailey Sweeney and a few of those other boys had heaps more than everyone else. And uh, it was a bit of a, a shock that Will managed to, to get himself to the front. So kudos to him. I mean, he's obviously, you know, we know how, how good he is. Um, and he, he put on a show in that last race and really, really gave it to us. So it was nail biting. Stefan and I have discussed this on the pod before. I mean, what's it like as a driver when the competitiveness of the car can change so dramatically event yeah. to event? I mean, without a proper understanding of BOP, you'd really think that you guys forget and then remember how to drive on a pretty regular <laughs> basis. Like how frustrating is it on a weekend like that when there's just nothing you can do to, to have any speed? Well, I think that over the weekend I felt really helpless. You know, I could see the championship potentially slipping away and I had no no pace in the Honda Um because of BOP and and probably because for whatever reason the Honda with the the torque of the motor it doesn't seem to suit Bathurst. I think even if we didn't have heaps of BOP, I mean we, we were at thirty kilos extra weight, which is a fair bit for them. Maximum's forty. Yeah. Um, and that success ballast from previous rounds. Um, but I think even if we didn't have that, you know, we we weren't going to be as quick as Bailey Sweeney, for instance, or Jay Hansen in, in the, the new Audi. So it's it's really strange because then you go to a place like Queensland Raceway and our thing was in a rocket ship. Yeah. So it's in that nice little sweet spot. And uh, it's, it's very difficult to explain to people. Um, but I did feel quite helpless going back to Bathurst for a second time in the year. It almost gave all my competitors a, another, a second opportunity to try and eat eat away at the points, you know. Yeah. Um, it is difficult to accept sometimes. I mean, you you get your success ballast based on the previous round and then you can go to a track that you're going to suck at anyway and it's like a double whammy. Yeah. So you, we were always playing the championship card. So we didn't play games of trying to sandbag and quality or anything. We just gave it everything every time and it, it meant we, had, we went to Bathurst with – heap of weight on board and um, it, it was tough work, I can tell you. We, we just had no straight line whatsoever. How rewarding is it to win this title? Because, like, you've been you've been part of this TCR Australia scene since it started in 2019. You did the legwork to get Honda 
involved in this, this, you know, to, to make sure there is a factory supported element from Honda to your program. It must be nice to sort of put all that work in and then sit back and have a, you know, a bit of silverware at the end of it and go, oh, wow, we, we've really made this work. Yeah, I am really proud of that because I had to twist Honda's arm big time. In, in 2018, end of 2018, I went to them with this concept of TCR and I wasn't too sure what it was going to look like myself and I had to you probably not tell Porky Pies, but I had to <laughs> talk it all up and uh, tell them it was all going to be okay and the championship was going to be a winner. And, um, you know, they confidence sort of built over a couple of years there. And the championship has delivered on, you know, really good TV coverage and great racing and hard racing. Um, so it is nice to repay their faith, you know. Like I, I did have to twist their arm big time. But in the beginning, they weren't going car racing. That was the thing they kept saying, we're not going car racing again. Um, it was more of like almost uh, like an ambassador role, um, which turned into a little bit more every year. You know, they sort of enjoyed it more and more. Um, but, yeah, to wrap up the title, I mean – it's great on the Honda side, but also just from a personal side, I, I really think it's a tough category. I think it's a tough category to put a full year together. Yeah. And there's some seriously good drivers in there. You know, you've got ex-supercar guys, you've got Moff, Caruso, and myself, and then you have the star-studded lineup that come in as well, like a Will Brown or a Chaz Mostert. And then you've the young guys who are bloody fast, you know, yeah. super fast. So. Um, it's a big challenge. Um, it's been a big learning curve for the team as well. You know, the wall race never run front-wheel front drive cars, so huge amount of learning from the engineering side. And we've just all been in it together since the start of the category. So it's just it is really nice to put our name on the trophy. What's the plan for next year? Going to have a crack at defending the title? I mean, I guess the World Tour thing is quite interesting with two events yeah. in Australia as well. That is, that does bring a new spice to it. And uh, obviously, I've got to see where Honda sit with the whole thing. Um, it is up to them whether they want to keep putting money into the category. I mean, they might have a different plan now. They've, they've been able to win it. I don't know just yet. Um, but ideally, I'd like to keep doing the, the championship. I think it's, um, like I said, it's good for all the other racing that I do. It keeps me sharp for supercar enduros or any other stuff that I'm doing, um, probably more than anything else, you know. So... I'd like to do it again, but I, there's yeah, there's a lot of conversations need to happen. <clears throat> there's a new car coming for Honda probably around mid year, and I think you know if we've got to if we're going to try and go again and have a good crack at it, you, you've got to put your hand up for one of those cars, and obviously there's yep. a big cost attached to that too. So lots of things to discuss, but I suppose winning it uh, goes a long way in those discussions. And we thank Tony for his time there. Stefan, let's touch on the announcement over the weekend that the two that two of the nine TCR World Tour rounds will be held in Australia next year. One of them will be the Bathurst International. The other will be just before the Bathurst International and what will likely be a standalone round. So we've seen the Speed Series calendar for 2023, but not the specific TCR Australia calendar. So TCR Australia will be at six of the seven Speed Series events, but will miss the Bathurst six-hour. There will then be the other World Tour event, um, that will come before the Bathurst International, that will make it a seven-round season for TCR, if that makes sense. Um, so how this World Tour works is that the World Tour regulars will join the domestic TCR championships throughout the year. Now, WSC is confident there will be at least 16 World Tour regulars, four each from Audi, Lincoln Co., Hyundai, and Honda. So based on last weekend's TCR Australia group, we would have 35-odd cars for the Bathurst International, all going well. Uh, the, one of the really good things about this is it gives the Bathurst International something to kind of justify the international name 
as well. Uh, and after the World Tour, there will be a TCR World Final, which is open to the top 15 from the World Tour and the top 45 from the TCR World Rankings, which is compiled from domestic championships and points scored and whatever. Uh, it's very likely that some TCR Australia regulars will make that top 45, especially with two World Tour rounds here because they're worth extra points. And if you make the top 45, WSC will pay to get your car to the World Final, wherever that may be, you think, probably in Europe somewhere. Um, Stefan, if this all plays out as planned, like this is a huge coup for TCR Australia. Yeah, I mean, the whole World Tour thing sounds like a great concept. So I really hope it gets off the ground. Like the global TCR boss, Marcello Lotti, was obviously selling it pretty heavily at Bathurst. They're pushing really hard to make it work. Uh, from what I can see, there's only one team that's actually publicly come yeah. out and committed yeah. to it, which is that Belgian Audi squad. They say they'll run four of those cars, but hopefully those mooted Lincoln Co, Hyundai and Honda entries do happen because you're right in that it could really be what TCR Australia needs. I think the lure of those world final spots might encourage some more drivers into the series and uh, obviously yeah, it'd give it a real showpiece around around Bathurst, which which that needs. So there's all that. And then the other potentially exciting thing for TCR Australia at the moment is this new Toyota that's being homologated. Like yeah. hopefully we see uh, we see at least one of those in the mix down here as well. Yeah, I think there was there was some talk that, you know, that has kind of Australia's been prioritized uh, to get hold of those cars once they're through their development and homologation. Um, process, but yeah, look, it'll be interesting. You're right; there is only the one team. Uh, Marcello Lotti did say he was very confident that there will be four each from those manufacturers, and maybe even more. He sort of talked about perhaps even there being 20 cars, um, which would be amazing. But of course, we actually have to see that happen because it's a big financial commitment for these teams to run that many cars uh, all around the world. But if it does happen as it's planned, yeah, I think it's just a great thing for TCR and good timing as well at a point where the category could start to sort of become a little bit stale. This just is going to breathe fresh life into it. So yeah, if it happens as it's meant to, it's a very cool thing. Uh, Stefan, I wanted to quickly touch on this, uh, change to the provisional license allowance for Motorsport Australia. So, um, as I sort of ran through at the start of the show, it will basically prevent drivers jumping straight into a supercar or a GT car or a Trans Am or S5000 on their P plates. Um, they'll have to do three races in something that fits under the power to weight limit first before they can drive one of those more high powered cars. Stefan, any thoughts on this? Oh, it's one of those things. I'm sure there'll be some people out there upset with it because it'll impact uh, what they plan on doing, but it, it is only three race meetings and it just does seem like common sense, really. It's one of those rules where you wonder how it wasn't in place before. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so. I, I can certainly see the sense in it. I think um, Trans Am, which you know, at some point is going to become a pathway to supercars in the future, whether supercars likes it or not, will probably be worst affected because that is a category that guys are coming straight out of carts and going into. Um, there's going to be situations where it seems ridiculous, like you know, my mate Jason Pride over here in Perth was racing a Trans Am on PZs this year. His back uh, on P's this year. His background is sprint car racing. So telling someone who hurls an 800 horsepower sprint car at the wall every Saturday night that they can't be trusted. In a Trans Am car doesn't make a lot of sense, but you can't really base these decisions off one-off cases like that. And I would imagine that if something tragic were to happen at some point to an inexperienced driver in a high-powered car, uh, pretty close to the top of the list of questions at any inquest would be, why was this inexperienced racing driver allowed to drive this powerful racing car? So I guess it probably does make some sense at that level. 
All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. George Russell was a first-time Grand Prix winner in Brazil, where he led home Mercedes teammate Lewis Hamilton and Carlos Sainz. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo crashed into Kevin Magnussen on the first lap, which took them both out of the race, and that earned Dan a three-spot grid drop for, for what will be his final Formula 1 race for the foreseeable future in Abu Dhabi. Uh, Toyota trio Brendan Hartley, Sebastian Buemi, and Rio Hirawaka sealed the World Endurance Championship title at the Bahrain, uh, Bahrain eight hours with a second-place finish behind teammates um, Jose Maria Lopez, Mike Conway, and Kamui Kobayashi. And Hyundai driver Thierry Neuville denied Toyota a WRC victory on home soil when he won Rally Japan. Uh, Stefan, just circling back to the Brazilian Grand Prix br- briefly, there were a couple of flashpoints of controversy in the race. The first coming early when Max Verstappen tried to pass Lewis Hamilton the S's. Uh, they collided. Max copped the five-second penalty for it. Stefan, was he a bit hard done by there? Well, I think it spoke volumes that Martin Brundle in the Sky commentary thought it was Lewis's fault. I mean, the Sky coverage isn't exactly known for having a pro-Max bias, is it? Yeah. But Ma- <laughs> yeah, Max was true. clearly in there and, and Lewis turned down. So yeah. I, I wouldn't have been offended if it was just play on, but it certainly was surprising that Max got a penalty for that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there was like there was two outcomes which would have been acceptable and that was racing incident and even then you'd go oh Lewis got a bit lucky there or Lewis being penalised oh, I was the same there was a lot lot more space to Lewis's left than there was to Max's right you know and to sort of I think he was that far up to say oh he should get out of it in this case he's probably a little like past instances probably don't help in terms of you know he's known for being for overstepping the line when it comes to being forceful but in that case I think he kind of did everything right um, and then got penalised for it. Whenever those two blokes are, are near each other, they just seem to lose all their spatial awareness uh, ability. Like it's yeah. just it's just inevitable that they're going to have a shunt. Yeah, there's just a desperation to it, I guess. They just seem to. They definitely race each other differently. There's no doubt about that. Um, if Max did sort of win a few brownie points or get a bit of sympathy for that, I think he lost most of it uh, later in the race when there was more – for Stappen-related controversy, uh, he was allowed past Sergio Perez to try and hunt down Fernando Alonso in the latter stage of the race and then refused to give the place back when he couldn't get by. Uh, there was a heated exchange on the radio where Max told the team not to ask him to do that again because he has his reasons. Um, Perez, meanwhile, said that it shows who Max really is. There's been a bit of chat that this may stem back to qualifying in Monaco where Sergio crashed when Max was on a lap. Um, but either way, I mean, it doesn't look good for Max, does it, Stefan? Well, it was a great weekend for radio tear-ups, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> After what we yep. saw with the Alpine guys on the on the Saturday. And, yep. it, and it shows that for all the planning that gets done by these F1 teams, like the drivers are so hard to control in, in the heat of the moment. And and like at Red Bull, like Max has gotten to the point where he's bigger than the team, right? Like yep. not too many people can blatantly take revenge on a colleague to the detriment of their employer and just get away with it like that. So that's what happens when you're that fast though. Like it seemed bizarre that Max would want to be that petty about sixth place or seventh place when he's already won the championship. But I guess it's that attitude that uh, makes him so good as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pretty uh, it's a pretty ruthless way to go. Business. Yeah, I was definitely I was sport sport for choice on uh, on teammate related incidents to try <laughs> and go for the opening gag this week. I tell you, but anyway, um, let's move on. It is my favourite time of the week where we do some window shopping and see what grabbed our eye on my105.com. I'm going to go first this week, Stefan. I spied with my little eye a Mark One Lotus Cortina built to Group NB spec that's actually avail- available right here in Western Australia. I'm a big fan of a small 
forward, Stefan, and anything with a Lotus twin cam in it is very cool as far as I'm concerned. But they're worth a bit of coin, the old Lotus-powered forwards these days, so I'm going to have to go and try and find... 55k if I want to uh, if I want to pick up this car, but it does look like an absolute beauty that I'd love to have a uh, have a steer of. What's uh, what has caught your eye this week? Well, you went first strategically this week, Andrew, because I also had my eye on that uh, Cortina. But instead of fighting you for it, I've gone with another neat little Group M car based in WA, so we can uh, run as teammates if you like. My pick is a BMW 2002, which has just been listed. For thirty-two grand, I fear it might not have as much grunt as your Cortina, but it looks mm. uh, it looks a bit of fun regardless. Yeah, I know both those cars, and that's a beauty as well. You're spending a bit less, so the uh, you can look after the catering or something for the season. I reckon <laughs> for our, uh, but that would be uh, that would be a lot of fun. Okay, Castro mailbag time. Uh, David Roberts asks: With the effects of climate change being felt, with an unprecedented number of laps, races, sessions, lost to weather events this year, do organisers need to be more flexible in their scheduling? The failure to reschedule the top 10 shootout for the Bathurst 1000 or the second TCR race last weekend spring to mind. I mean, there probably does need to at some point be, you know, I think it's it's not even about the amount of rain that we're seeing. It's just this risk aversion to actually running in the rain. So if we are going to just accept the fact that anything over light drizzle is going to cause a session to be delayed or stopped or not happen, then... Yeah, probably. It's very complicated. It's not that easy, particularly with TV windows, to just reschedule stuff. But I think that if we are going to continue down this path of going, well, it's too wet to race, we can't race. As soon as there's any rain around, which everyone who listens to the pod regularly will know that I don't agree with it at all, then, yeah, there needs to be – something needs to be done. Something needs to be done because every time it rains now, you, you the, the first question asked is, are we going to see any, any racing, which is not something that we were asking – 10 years ago, to be honest. Stefan, what do you mm. reckon? I think this is one of those ones where the theory of rescheduling things on the fly is just so much easier than the practicalities of yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Once you start yeah. moving stuff around, you get all sorts of other headaches, you know, including being unfair on, on other categories running and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's a difficult one. And you're always guessing with weather, like unless you actually – know with some certainty that like a typhoon is going to arrive at 4 p.m. then uh, when it's just how much rain like it was say at Bathurst on the Saturday there like moving the shootout forwards you're just guessing and then you're disenfranchising people who would tune in for when the shootout's meant to be on later in the day and it happened but you don't see it so yeah I think effort definitely needs to go into things like track drainage and in the supercars case uh, better wet tyre so that we can be running in more conditions but I think it is hard on on the organisers to um, shift things around. But like one thing that does actually need to clip here, I think, is unnecessary time certain finishes. Like, yeah. um, yes, TCR didn't have a race two at Bathurst because of weather, but then for the title deciding race to be shortened by one lap in a race that only had one safety car, it seemed a bit weird. Like it was the last race of the day. It was 4.30 in the afternoon and the only broadcaster was Stan. So, yeah, it just uh, it felt a bit cheap to, to rob us of a lap at the end. Well, in a race where that lap could have made a big difference. Like yeah. that's the knife edge the race the race was on. It's interesting you mentioned like, you know, supercars, you know, needing a better wet to do more racing. But when, when that race, that TCR race wasn't happening, all the drivers were complaining about how the wet's too good, disperses too much water and the spray's too bad. Like, come on. You've got a lot more grip then. Like, I don't know. 
I just I that that it still annoys me that there's just this complete aversion to running in the rain at all. Either the wet yeah, tire is um, too good or it's not good enough. Or yes, you get spray. None of that's changed. Motor racing's been like that forever. You're in the pack, yeah, it's yeah. hard. You have to go slower. I'm not 100% across the details of that on Sunday morning, but, like, there was a few shots that showed, like, the fog across the top of the hill. So I'm not sure if they're having the the old point-to-point flag marshal visibility issues as well, which is a pretty hard thing to uh, to fix. It is, but then we go back to the, <laughs> the 12 hour earlier this year where the conditions were atrocious sometimes and they were still going around. But anyway, yeah, the, the drivers were all talking about there being too much spray from the wet tyre because it's too good. Uh, so then you sort of go, okay, do we just by changing the tyre? The problem just seems to get shifted around instead of everyone just getting on with it and going racing. Anyway, we've been down this path plenty of times before. Let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week, Stefan. Uh, you can go first for this one. Who gets your Castrol Star? I'm going with Ben Grice and his All-American Driveline Trans Am team for their Lazarus-like cool effort car. at the Bathurst cool International. Well, yeah. it wasn't a cool-looking car on Friday when he'd stuck it in <laughs> at true. the cutting and uh, missed qualifying as a result, but after a pretty incredible all-night repair, it did return for the races. Benny started off the back in race one and got it up to second by the end of the feature race, which was uh, a pretty cool reward for a big effort there. Absolutely. And there was one moment where he was so wide. I think it was at like McPhillamy at some point in one of those races. And it was, it was. Uh, he hung on to it. And uh, yeah, certainly knows how to drive it, knows how to wheel those things. No doubt about that. Yeah, that was, uh, that was very cool. I'm going to give my Castrol star to Will Brown uh, this week. He just missed out on that second TCR title. But the way he even got himself into contention to nab it in the final race was fantastic. That move on Aaron Cameron at the chase right up on the curb was absolutely wild. And, um, you know, as you heard from from Tony before, even he was sitting there going, how is this guy doing this? So that was some actual like, you know, grab hold of the car and I need to be at the front, let's go and do it sort of driving, which was very, very, very impressive. Uh, before we go, a quick note that we're going to do a bit of an extended Q&A in next week's episode. So if you've got any questions for myself or Stefan, uh, fire them over to us during the week and that's what we'll do next week. And yeah, that's it for this week. So remember to like, subscribe and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.